Let's face it, many people who are fans of someone often say or think, I'd love to sit down and have a coffee or a pint with... Who? Well, you fill in that gap, the name of your hero. And if that hero happens to be Joe Dolan, then later in this show you can, in a way, join Joe and I for a pint in the snug of the bar in Dublin's Clarence Hotel for an interview we did in 2001 that has never been broadcast. Or, more factually speaking, you can at least eavesdrop. But first, I want to revisit the unedited tape we made a year earlier for an edition of my RT Radio 1 series, Under the Influence. At the time, Joe Dolan, who was born in Mullingar in 1939, was having a huge resurgence of popularity, having redefined his style for the 21st century, with two EMI albums, Joe's 90s, and, suitably enough, 21st Century Joe. And even though Under the Influence was ostensibly about the musical influences in an artist's life, and Joe incidentally chose songs by Elvis, The Stones, Ella Fitzgerald and Elkie Brooks, I kicked off the show by telling him about an August 1969 issue of the New Musical Express I'd read again the night before our interview, and in which his first major international hit, Make Me an Island, was in the British Top 20, alongside classic hits by two of his heroes, Elvis's In the Ghetto and The Stones' Honky Tonk Women. But I also suggested, near the start of the programme, that the chart success of Make Me an Island in Britain had a lot to do with music industry shenanigans. But first... Let's flash back in time to the summer of 1969. Different eyes, different size, different girls every day. Different names, different games, took my breath clean away, but I'm changed, rearranged.
not in the slightest taking away from the success of Make Me an Island. Wasn't there a kind of uh, a kind of deals going on in terms of it getting the power play on Radio Luxembourg and publishing royalties? Wasn't there a kind of thing in well, place that a lot of people who well, bought it wouldn't have known? You see, you're not learning too much all of a sudden, George Exxon. <laughs> Just a minute. <laughs> you're too good at remembering things. Okay. Well, actually, what, what basically happened was uh, when, when, uh, when I got Make Me an Island first, I got it from a lady called um, Joy Nichols who worked with Shaftesbury uh, Music Publishers, of which uh, Geoffrey Everett was the head of, and also the head of Radio Luxembourg at the time. Okay. Now, she rang my office because she heard a song called Tarrant Cement, which we had done on an album, right? And she liked it. And she said she had a song that she reckoned would suit me. Would I come to London and hear it? And we went over and we heard the song. Now, we didn't do anything about the other setup. At that point. At this point, right? So we went down and we recorded the song. And in fact, we, we, the engineer on the song was a fellow called Bill Somerville Large okay. from Dublin. Uh, he used to work with uh, the Emin and Andrew studio, as far as I can remember, in Dublin. And um, uh, Johnny Arthy was the arranger and the orchestrator and the whole lot for the, for the song. Uh, we recorded it along with a couple of other things at the time. Uh, well, of course, you had a flip side and a sure, yeah. front side and whatever. And then we heard the radio, we heard on Luxembourg, somebody said, gosh, you were in Luxembourg three times tonight, you know. And then you were in Luxembourg. God, you have power play in Luxembourg. And it was only then that I realised, that I, that I learned, actually, that Geoffrey Everett, the head right. of the publishing company, okay. was the boss of Radio Luxembourg. So naturally, we were going to get all the players in the book. In fact, we were getting power play, which was once an hour on the hour, and we were getting every half hour as well. All right. Just in case you missed it on the hour, but, you were getting it anyway. Yeah, but you weren't getting any extra pennies because of that, sure you weren't. It was just helping sales. Well, as it, you it, said, he had the publishing royalties, so he kept the profits. He had about the that oh yeah, but I still got I still got uh, my uh, artistic rights money, if you like. Okay. For singing right. the song. Okay. Uh, plus your percentage of whatever you were getting on record sales, which in fact the more he pushed it, the better it was for me. All right, and okay. the more the better it was for me by by more people listening to it and, and the whole bit. In fact, so many people heard that song that one of the biggest thrills of my life was walking down through some part of London uh, with lots of lights in it. Could have been Soho now. Could have been so I didn't say that, but it could have been Soho. At Probably night. was. At night. At night, yeah. <laughs> That's the only time well, to you go got to back Soho. out alive. That's, that's the only time to go to Soho. But I remember walking along by an arcade, one of these slot machine places, and I heard thundering out of a jukebox, make me an island. And I couldn't resist. I had to go back. <laughs> no one knew me in London, anyhow. And you played so I went back. No, I went back and had a look in. And here was a guy, he was about six foot six, black. And he's standing with his two arms on the side of the jukebox and he's swaying from side to side to make me an island. And okay. he says, God, this has to be it. <laughs> it's going to go far. That was, that was a great thrill. Okay, that was cool. This, you know? It was cool. It was also a black guy, you know, listening yeah. to that kind of, getting moved by, right. kind of by, by that. And later during this edition of Under the Influence, after Joe told me about the influence singers such as Elvis had on him, I reminded him that he'd once said his own brother, Ben, Longtime saxophonist in his band and one of its founder members was maybe one of the biggest influences on his life in general. Very much so, and still is. Okay. And still is, yeah. Well, he's uh, he's the band leader. He's the sax player in the band, and uh, he's well. I won't say he's the manager because we have a manager, like, okay. but he thinks he is. Okay. <laughs> 
But uh, he's also the accountant. Okay. Very important. He looks after everything. He's, okay. he's tremendous. Did he yeah. look after everything from the outset? Yes. As an accountant? Uh, from the beginning, he was okay. the money man. Okay, because I did yeah. see one of the first headlines, and I thought it was very funny. Joe has had his laughs, now he wants money. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I saw over that one day. <laughs> <laughs> well, now you were drinking gin and tonic according realized, to the interviewee. I realised <laughs> there was something else out there. <laughs> but wait, but is that was that part of starting off? I know, like we were talking about the money you didn't get from the publishing royalties going somewhere else for for Make Me an Island. But was there a point at which earlier, back in the sixties, when you were doing your original recordings, you were ripped off and you did have to learn the hard way and then say, okay, we're going to appoint our own accountant yeah. and we're going to control well, it. Well, everybody, you see, everybody gets ripped off to a point, unless, uh, like the modern day artists, I think, are a little bit more smart than we were, and uh, they, they sort of the first thing to do is is hire a solicitor to sign up something they haven't got even yet or an accountant to count what they haven't got yet. Right, I mean, okay. it's all there. It's ready to rock and roll if the money starts rolling in. Okay. Now, in, in, the old, in our days, like when we started out in the business, I mean, it was a case of all you wanted to do was play to a crowd of people and okay. have fun. Right. You know, I mean, that wasn't in the back of your mind at all. Like, uh, like making cash, making... Where, where are the shillings for this? Right, okay. That's until one day you had yeah. no dinner. Yeah, okay. And you said, why have I no dinner? <laughs> you know... <laughs> okay, so you decided to change things then. Well, we had to, you know. <laughs> it's right. a case okay. of... But was that a drive for you too, to not work as a printer or whatever, to say, this is also a good bloody way to make a living? Eventually, did you decide that? And you have well, made a good living out of it. I, I enjoyed my time at the printing works. All right. And I enjoyed the camaraderie with the lads and all this sort of stuff in the printing office. Uh, but it sort of wasn't for me. Okay. I knew there was something else out there that I wanted to do. All right. So... Sort of this was it. And and my manager at the time in the Westmeath Examiner of the Examiner office, he sort of helped me on the way. Sexy. <laughs> no, he didn't actually. He said, look, you've got to make your mind up. It's either the Westmeath Examiner or show business. Oh, OK. And I said, look, that's the easiest thing I was ever asked to answer. I'm out of here. OK. And that was it. Joe Dolan there looking back at his days as a compositor, a job he took in 1958. But later, as you heard him say, left to form his first band, the Drifters. He should have known that Cliff Richards' group had that name and had to change it under legal pressure from the American vocal group, The Drifters. So too, Joe had to change the name of his act to Joe Dolan and his Drifters. But back in 2000, there was, particularly among rock snobs like Lord Bob Geldof, whom Joe mentions, a dismissive attitude to show bands and to their history. I asked Joe where he stood in terms of all this. Well, I know when we started, we were very raw. OK. And... Uh, it, it sort of didn't matter to us because we were enjoying it and people were liking it. So okay. we played like that for, for quite some time and then we got a little bit refined because we sort of learned the instruments and one thing and another and... And ruined it all. to be able to... screwed everything up. There were fantastic musicians around at the time. Like, there were. Okay. Really brilliant musicians. I mean, Van Morrison has spoken about that. Sure. And uh, while... Um, uh, Buck and Bob doesn't think much of it, you know. <laughs> but then, not Bob Dylan, the Hastings had Bob Geldof. No, Bob Geldof, yeah, Lord Bob. Okay. Well, I mean, who who uh, pass much remarks now on Bob? No, to be quite honest. All right, okay. Sir Bob or otherwise, you know. Okay, all right, okay. But a lot of people dissed the showbands and the work you were doing, and there were a lot of great songs that were other people. Like, Love of the common well, people. Well, still we stand, doing, they stand up as great songs. You did. What, what the bands were doing in those days? Well, they were doing exactly what the bands are doing today. Okay. Pleasing the crowd. Okay. You know, okay. pleasing the customers. All right. I okay. mean, you can talk about anyone you want nowadays and say, 
Well, we're not out to please the crowd, you know. We're pleasing ourselves. I mean, you can go back to the Gallagher brothers, if you wish. Now, at the end of the day, they have, have, they're working very hard on going back to America because they bombed out in America because of Liam's antics and I want to go home and all this sort of crap. Now, they are turning the rack to American way. Now, that's not because it's what they want to do. They want to do that because their ego has been dented a little bit and they want to get back into to doing what the American people want to hear them doing. Okay, all yeah. right. But a lot of people are also saying, like we had Gavin Friday on the series and, and Bono has said that kind of a lot of what they're doing are, are show band influenced. Like they're putting on a show and they're appealing to a big audience. Well, that's I mean, exactly U2's what they're doing. show it's just, yeah. is a giant It's show a giant band. show band. Exactly right. what it is. Right, right. That's exactly what it is, except it's in a stadium and not in a dance hall. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. Know. By the way, this raw edit of Under the Influence was being pre-recorded in RTE under the guidance of my longtime producer, Aidan Butler, one of the unsung heroes of the Irish music business. And he, at this point, in one of those fragments of tape that I, naturally enough, excised from the show, reminded me of a mistake I was making. But here I play the fragment of tape because it led to Joe telling us both an OK kind of joke. And I leave in an exchange that followed that likewise didn't make it into the programme. Was I saying yeah too much? I, I have this bad habit, I keep oh, yeah. forgetting I'm on radio. I was saying yeah too much. Yeah, oh, no more yeah, yeah, yes. Okay. Uh, and you know about the woman in Castle Blaney, do you? <laughs> what? Well, everyone in Castle Blaney says, hey. Hey? Hey, did you hear about your man, hey? See, Paddy called told me the story, and Paddy says, this woman met him on the street, she says, Paddy, you see, I don't say hey anymore, hey. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right, let's move into... Uh, is it time for another song? No. We're moving into the... Uh, in the 70s, I mean, we just talked about how you 2 played to massive audiences. But in the 70s, you, 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 I know they usually say it as a joke about poor Johnny Logan that it was huge in Turkey, but you were huge in every continent. And you played to, like, in Tel Aviv to, what was it, like 60,000 people in one particular gig? 60,000 to 70,000 people in, in an open-air gig in Tel Aviv, yeah. And you were escorted home by um, the army. I was escorted home by the police, <laughs> the army... Uh, the Arabs, anyone that was hoping knocking around, they all gave me a lift home. Well, this is because the crowd refused to let you leave the stage, This is it? because we couldn't get out of the place, yeah. All right, and how, how did that, I mean, do moments like that strike you as utter madness, you know, or, or do you just go, this uh, is all part of my gig? Well, it was part of the gig at the time because uh, it was all very exciting and you were rushed into a toilet area and then you were rushed out the back door of a toilet and you were rushed in the front door of another one and you were rushed out through this and okay. rushed out through a, tur- a turnstile and stuffed into the back of the car. Okay. All and there right. were sirens going everywhere. And <laughs> I thought, there's the war on? <laughs> <laughs> you thought you were in office in Vegas. <laughs> no, I thought the war was at the start. <laughs> Me having great crack with Joe Dolan. Oh, I guess if this show ever goes out in America, I better edit that line out. But after we played one of Joe's musical choices, Elkie Brooks' song, Pearl's a Singer, I suggested to Joe that it was fueled by the kind of high emotion that he himself likes to invest in a song. I do actually, yeah. I I, I do that sort of stuff myself. I I like to get uh, I like to get plenty of emotion into a song. I mean, it's not all the, it's not all the time possible. All right, okay. Someone pulling at your leg at the same time. But that's lovely too. <laughs> get me wrong. Says he quickly. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> but that idea you were saying as the record was playing that the idea of you know not doing a song till the very end that you, you're actually letting down an audience that way. You, you are. are someone who has always been aware of playing to your audience. Yeah. I mean, I mean th- that is part. Of your show well if like even with the last albums or anything else that we had out if one, one of them was a, a played hit or anything like that we always stuck it in quite early in the show 
you know, I mean, I, I saw, um, funny enough, a, a, a river dance, digress totally. Okay, go ahead. I mean, when I saw river dance first, I mean, they did that seven minutes, minute snippet at the end of the first half, which was great because you didn't want to wait till the end of the blinking show, like with an interval and everything. And then they finished off with it as well, which I thought was a, a novel idea. Okay, right, that okay. You, yeah, you were all, everyone went out of the place at the interval, excited, up to the moon. And then they come back in and they left up to the moon again because, I mean, this is really what they went to see. But, I mean, the rest in between was tremendous as well. Sure, yeah, yeah. But yeah, they, yeah. they did the piece that everyone wanted to see. And that's what I should think, that somebody with a big hit record should put it in halfway through the show, okay. not when the show is over. And do you ever you know? feel hemmed in? Did you ever at any point in all those years feel hemmed in by audience expectations? Did you ever go, look, I just don't want to have to do all these hits again? Do you ever go, I want to break in new songs, I want to change my image? Well, you see, what you do is you don't, you can't leave out the, the big ones, but you can leave out some of the minor ones. Okay. And there's not much remarks passed on that. I mean, you can stick, take out, well, okay, we have, let's say, Make Me an Island there, so you leave that, or you may just push it down a little bit and take out another one, pull it up and then take it out and put in a new one. Okay, I'm going, I'm going to jump ahead. I'm going to break with chronology here because I want to play a What's song. It's, it's a friend of mine. <laughs> Has he two legs or one? <laughs> He's only one now. So the idea, I want to play a song. It is chronology. Chronology. Not, not chronology. No, no, it's not criminology. 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 We won't talk about that, Joe. No, we won't go into that, Laurie. <laughs> <laughs> um, I want to play a song that has the same mood of Pearls the Singer. This is kind of coming from your latest album, and it's kind of it's your interpretation actually of you two's "Who's Going to Ride Your Wild Horses?" And yeah, what I, and this leads into just the general question of over the last few years, you have kind of redefined yourself. So why this song? I mean, what made you turn towards this? Uh, well, it, I was I was asked if I'd like to do it. No, I, see, I got lots of songs for the albums, right? So we picked out one or two here and there, and I I rather liked. I like this song. I like the way Bono did it. I like the way they the played it. I liked everything about the song. And it says, I could sing that. Or I reckon I could, anyhow. Now, there's people out there who say, that I probably couldn't. But that's not the point. Okay. We, they're not listening to the radio, anyhow. Because okay. <laughs> it's you, OK. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, we did the song because I... And having gone into the studio like and, and uh, put it down and all, I was thrilled with the, with the end result. So delighted I had done it. And you wouldn't have to kind of consult Bono and Edge or anyone and say, no. it's just, it's a publishing deal no, done and you cover it. it's a publishing deal done. I mean, they got the money for it. And did they get back to you about it? No. Okay. All right. No. So maybe they'll hear it for the first time today. If well, they I hope they do. Okay. Bono, if you're listening to this, it's a great song.
just out of reach. Hey, hey, shalala. Hey, hey, shalala. Joe, listening to that, you clearly enjoy singing that song. I did. I love doing it, yeah. I, I got a great buzz out of doing it. It was a lovely song. Great song. And you haven't done it yet live. Uh, we've never done it on stage, funnily enough, but um, as I was listening to it right now, I reckon we're going, to, uh, we're going to put it in the show, yeah. OK. And soon afterwards, that particular edition of Under the Influence did end, with actually Joe Dolan telling me that his process of redefinition was helped greatly by recording the song Disco 2000 
and that it made him so excited they had to literally drag him out of the studio. At which point I had to tell him he was being booted out of mine. Okay, so now let's fast forward a year or so to our second interview. And what follows are my edited highlights from a one-hour chat that I will not interrupt with added narration, lest that damage your sense that you are actually sitting in and eavesdropping. This tape was, as I said earlier, made in the snug of a Dublin bar, and as such you will hear background noises such as, say, the sound of a fan. Not asking for an autograph, I mean an electric fan. And occasionally voices. I would no control over that. Joe chose the venue. Then again, this time round, we were doing an interview for my weekly slot in the Sunday Independent and background noises, which were actually kept to a minimum because we both asked that the door of the snug be kept closed, didn't really bother us. I hope you feel the same. But what now strikes me as particularly appropriate, given that Joe would be dead within six years, is the fact that I had recently interviewed for the same newspaper many of his peers, such as Dickie Rock and Brendan Boyer, and found them to be in a reflective mood, looking back over their lives. So to begin with, I asked Joe Dolan if he felt or was in any way similarly inclined. Well, I'm not, because what happened yesterday, I did that. So good, bad or indifferent, I can't sort of change that. So do you, do you see any of the payoffs, no regrets? No, I have no regrets. Do you uh, No, no right. none at all. I suppose I do, in a, in a sense. Uh, one one sort of regret I have is when we recorded uh, Made Me in Ireland yeah. in what sixty nine. Yeah. Uh, so you're twenty seven now. You it were, was. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I was nine when I did that. But however, um, when I recorded that song, uh, it was written by Albert Hammond and Michael yeah. Hazelwood. Yeah. And one regret I have about all that is that they didn't stay doing what they were doing. All right. They split up at that time. Okay. And Albert Hammond went doing his own thing. Yeah. Recording his own songs, and Michael Hazelwood went. He was a great lyricist, and he went to uh, the West Coast in America, oh, right. okay. where he is still writing right. film scores. Right. right. So and the team that could have up. provided a lot more. I reckon they were a great team, and they could have provided right. an awful lot more right. uh, stuff, and probably things would have gone in a different direction. But you don't have major career regrets because you've sustained a long career. I don't. You've reinvented I, yourself. You and I have talked about that on radio. Yeah. You've done yeah. new songs, you've done old songs, you've kept one audience, you've got a new audience, so you couldn't yeah. have any real deep... Well, I've kept... Well, I've, I've, while I have a new audience, I've kept the old audience. Yeah. I mean, they're still with me. Yeah. Uh, regardless of which way I turn, uh, now hopefully with the next album we're going to go in a different direction. I don't know yet okay. what we're going to do. We're having All a meeting right. over that, please God, over the weekend, and uh, I'll see what we're going to do with the next album. But I, I am very, very pleased that, um, like, when EMI came on board, they stayed on board. Right. Like, yeah, yeah, they didn't yeah. turn around and say, well, uh, this is a one-off. All right. They were ready for another album. All right. They're still interested in doing a new album. All right, okay. And Which is good. Which makes you very happy because you have the backing of a big major yeah, yeah, label. Yeah, yeah. Which, I mean, a lot of people don't have. Sure they do. I know, I know that. Well, Dickie Rock would be one who would give well, us IT to I get know, it. Well, I know. None of them will get yeah. There's none of them will get this. So why do you still do all this, though? Is it, is uh, it, you must have made enough money now to retire and to I'm play golf for the rest of your yeah, days. Yeah, but the, the one thing about, uh, to be honest with you, Joe, uh, I never do this for money. Well, you did the start job because you and I talked about it on the radio. Well, we, when you, when we, as soon as you realised there was an easier way to make money than you'd been making it, no, and that I, people were making money out no, of it. No, I said there was if it was an easier way without working. Um, yeah, is what I said. I about didn't the mention way, you money. Had been I think. Working. Yeah. Okay. You know, I said if I can get through this without working, 
right. You know, it must be an easier way than working. But, I think but it turns was... out to be twice as hard to work as, as right. you know yourself. I thought there was an NME, that f an interview around 69 that I did quote, now I may be wrong, where you said, uh, just said, Joe wants to make dough out of his career uh, too. That may have come out of an interview in some way. Maybe right. it's a good heading, I don't yeah. know. But I don't, okay. I don't ever remember. You don't remember, remember having that urge. I don't ever drive. remember having that sort of urge that I'm only going on stage tonight yeah. because the place is full and I'm going to make lots of money. Yeah. Do you that, ever, did that moment ever even hit that you of late? That never hit me, ever. All right. Ever, okay. and still doesn't. And why? Could, do you think that would be just the wrong attitude uh, to start singing with? But it's not what I think of. All right, okay. It's not what I think of. Basically, so well, basically when I go out to do a show, the only thing I'm interested in is the people in front of me and the people who have paid in to see the show. All right. Uh, people who have gone out of their way to come to see me. They're my prime interest. All right. The manager of the club doesn't matter. The promoter doesn't matter. Nobody matters but the people sitting there in front but of me. But why do they matter that much to John? Because they lift me about 10 feet off the ground. All right, okay. Really and truly. Right, okay. and they, you they, mean that charge back from the The charge comes, man, and I'll tell you, when you're on there, well, you, like I'm always sort of apprehensive about going on right. to start with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But as soon as you walk up to go on the stage, the cheer goes up, and you just get a lift. All right. You nearly, right. nearly float on. All right. And that's okay. the way it is then right. for, the rest, always of, been like that? for the rest of the night. Is that the first time you realise, God, when I'm singing, this is what I get, really? Yeah, but I mean, I've always got a lift out of doing All that right. from, from crowds, right. you know. Now, maybe not in the early days, right. because you were battling against this and battling against that and bad okay. sound and yeah, yeah, yeah. sort of bad musicians, if you like, or yeah. whatever. Yeah. Yeah. But now I have, a, I have a band, well, I've had a band for many, many years yeah. that I'm very, very proud of, and they'll do exactly what I want them to do. They'll gel together nicely for me. They make right. me feel good on stage. Right. right. And, and there's never any nights you feel I really don't want to do this. I'd rather be at yeah, home watching the telly. Loads of nights. Playing golf. Yeah, loads of nights. Yeah. But then again, when you hear the cheer of the crowd, that's all gone. All right. You don't do think of golf anymore, or you don't think about going home anymore. All right. All right. But do they lift you emotionally? They lift me emotionally, and and yeah. and well, if it's possible, physically. Oh, I know. No, because it is. You, you say you float. You feel you're yeah. floating. Yeah. You can get that in a, in a good conversation, yeah. you know, yeah, whatever, you, can. you know, yeah, of course you can. or if you connect with somebody, whether it's yeah. sexual or any sense, you yeah. feel you're somehow off yeah. the planet, well, it's like you float away in a pub and having a chat with them. Yeah, and you connect, yeah. and you yeah. just forget the stuff around you. That's right, yeah. We all have that mini experience of what you get on stage. Yeah, that's right. Except you can keep going back for more. Well, that's... <laughs> We're not always lucky to meet well, an interesting person in a pub. But I mean, well, that, that's true, yeah. When you say it lifts you, is there any time when you, do, would you go around during the day down? Are you a depressive person? No. No, no. I've never been a depressive person, even in my right. lowest days. All right, I've okay. never been. Uh, I've never been depressed about anything. I knew. I sort of always feel there's something around the corner. Do you? Yeah. Natural optimist. Yeah, I am. Oh, I'm unbelievably optimistic. And what so would it be in the lowest days? Ah, uh, well, I suppose the lowest days was. Um, was after. Make me an island and good looking woman, been top of the pops for two years, if yeah, you like. Yeah. And suddenly the two boys go away and do their own thing. Yeah. yeah. And I have no songwriters. Okay. Now I'm getting crap. Like from yeah, different yeah, guys yeah, in England and yeah. different guys here and, and there. And I'm getting sort of a rewrite of Good Looking Woman and a rewrite of Make yeah, Me an yeah, Island. Yeah, yeah. Sideways, backwards, upside <laughs> down, inside out. And, you know, and, and here's a great song. You could do this, you know. And, okay, well, what is this? Oh, I, I just wrote out the lyric. I have the record at home. I bought it in Spain last week. Sorry, I don't want to know. Oh, yeah, okay. That sort right. of stuff. Okay, and that got you down. And it did, because I was trying to think, well, is this it? Right, okay. Like, is you it know? over? Yeah, have I gone right, to right, the... Right. Am, I, am I a sort of a boy band? 
yeah, that yeah, lasted yeah. for 12 months and now, okay. I'm, and now I'm doing nothing I'm All not right. in the business anymore and then along came uh, Roberto De Nova All right. and he starts writing stuff for me and he wrote marvellous stuff like Rock and Roller and right. Lady right. in Blue Goodbye Venice so that lifted you out crazy of that crazy woman oh for Jesus sake I was like a teenager again Okay, sorry for the interruption, but it's time for a little music. And I know Joe mentioned there three of his mid-70s hits, but he also mentioned his classic 1970 Hammond Hazelwood recording, You're Such a Good-Looking Woman. How can I resist playing it? No, I never had an hour period with my family. My All family right. were, were wonderful. Are your mum and dad still alive? No, they're not. No. Yeah, okay. My dad died when I was eight years old. Oh, did he? Okay. Yeah, and my mother right. died when I was about 15, 15 or 16. That's very young, Joe. Yeah, I know. Especially eight. But you know, my, brother and I, my brother and I lived together ever since. Okay. Oh, how old is he? How much older than he was he? He's only, you're 27, no, so he's, he's 32. A, he's only about four, four or five years. Okay. So was that the family then when, when your mum and dad died? Yeah, well, all the rest the of my family, yeah, but all the rest of my family were scattered. 
My my father, I can never ever remember my father raising his hand to any one of us. Okay. Like even when I was eight years old, I never heard a crossword right, from him. Right. And did you get on well with him yourself? Oh, I did. Yeah, but he was. See, my dad was a great fisherman. Was he? All right. Like weekends, you never see him. He's gone okay, to the lake. Right. Okay. And uh, and I I think about him quite often. Now. And my mother was uh, my mother was excellent as well. She did a bit. But of when that. he died, Joe, how did you how did it, was, how did it affect you? Well. Was it an accident enough, or a heart no, 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 he just got a heart attack. And how went, old was he though? He went to that. He was 61, I think. Pretty young. Yeah. Okay. He was 61. So how did that affect so, you as a young boy? Um, well, it, to be honest, uh, the day the day he died, um, the weekend, like, the day he was buried actually, I think it was on a Sunday. Right. There was a thing on called Lilliput Sports. Okay. And it was on Lilliput every... Lilliput Sports? Lilliput Sports, yeah. Okay. It was down by the shores of Lilliput, okay. or uh, Lock right, the right, Lake. Right, 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 okay. And uh, of course I was. I want. Oh, come on, come on. Who's bringing me to Lilliput? We're going to Lilliput. <laughs> so uh, that's my memory of that. Of the anyway. of the of the funeral. Of, of that day. But what about his absence after that? When you're right now? Ah, yeah. Well, 12? I mean, okay. You. Uh, oh gosh, I often think of it. I still think. But of did it. you get slagged by mates who said she had no dad or do you ever no. to route? None of that no. stuff. The no. nonsense. Because no. kids can be cruel. Oh, I know they can. No, you I never got I mean? never got any of that at all. All right. No. And how did your mum cope then? Well. She did. She was. She was always. Uh, she was always a great. What was your dad's name, Joe? Paddy. And your mum's name? Uh, uh, Nelly. Nelly. Okay. So how Nelly, did your mum cope? To call, she liked to be called Ellen. Ellen. Yeah. So how did she Ellen. cope with the daddy being gone and, and raising well, the rest of his? To my memory, she coped sort of pretty well. All right. And she uh, she sent me to uh, piano lessons. All right. For years afterwards, which she could ill afford, I right, suppose. Okay. Yeah. 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 At the time and. Uh, and is there no sense that you feel you were missing a family growing up? Well, no, because... Like the guiding hand of a father or the loving yeah, hand of a mother? Yeah, probably, probably young enough not to be scarred, like... Because you had the first eight years yeah. and then the years after that. Yeah, and then right. sort of Ben and I sort of did everything together. Right. Like if Ben was going to town, I'd go with him. All right. Or... No matter what, you know, all if right. he was meeting some of the girls in town, I'd go and meet the girls right, with him and, right. and this sort of stuff. And, you know, we were sort of always... And you've remained inseparable. Well, almost inseparable, but there's times I'd like to kill him, and I'm sure there's times he'd like to hope and kill me. Even even today, like, if you go away somewhere, he'd book and wind up in the next room to me. Really? All right. Did you, you say you live together still? No, so he's not, he's I don't. He's not have a place together. I no. don't know, no, 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 no. All right, okay. No. So it's not kind of that you can't live without each other. Oh no! Oh gosh, right. no! No, I'm just talking about business-wise. Oh, okay. All right, On the okay. Road and but you're also close to him, even though if you want to. Ah, yeah, occasionally. Not, I'm very close to my brother. Yeah. All right, and there isn't that sense of you know that when you got to your late teens and you're on, I'm on my own now in the world. No. How do I cope with never, all this? Never, never. Because he was there. He was always there. All right, he was okay. Always there, yeah. And he backed you going into music and all that. He did, and we came in with me. Yeah. Like he was a carpenter. Right. And uh, he made my first guitar. All right, okay. Which was a fretless, before fretless okay. ever came out. And he, the reason why it was. He couldn't fretless, afford the fret. No, he didn't know what to do with them. I mean, where does a carpenter put frets on a bloody right. guitar? You know, yeah, okay. where do you put them? Right, what are okay. they for? Yeah, yeah, yeah. These yeah, are for resting your finger on. All right. <laughs> <laughs> for skimming over notes. Yeah. All right, that's okay. Right. So that, that's where it started. So is there any sense of you, 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 you don't feel that there's any gap in your life in terms of that level of family at all, even at this no. age, looking back? No, there was never. I, well, I, I used to see my sisters uh, quite regularly. They'd come home on holiday and 
one thing or another, and even after my mum died, they still always came back. Right. And, uh, you know, they come back every year. Some of them would arrive at different times. And, All right. You know, there was always people. Well, there was always people in my house. Okay. After the family were gone, like, uh, Ben had a friend's round, and like, Ben had a great trick. Uh, there was a bunch of girls used to work in, the, in a hotel in town. And uh, Ben was very friendly with them. And, of course, him and I would have the house right. crap right. all week. You know, dirty oh, yeah, yeah, here yeah, and all yeah, that. Yeah. And we'd invite the girls out on the Sunday for a bit of crack, you know, and to clean up the whole house. That's <laughs> the only time you tidied up. <laughs> the girls would clean it up. And did you ever, was there ever a stage at that where you followed the other route, the route of marrying and children and all that? Even uh, yeah. at, at 19, 20, 21 or up to... Yeah, well, I was engaged a couple of times. Okay, like back before you got into music? No, I was in music at oh, the time. Oh, in music at the time. So when you, yeah. after you were having the hits and all? Yeah. How many times? Twice? Yeah. Well, I wasn't actually engaged, but I was, uh, I was promised. Okay. By who? If by two who? <laughs> You'd have to explain these graces uh, to no, me. No, I had asked girl. I had asked this particular girl to marry me. Okay. She agreed. Okay. And then she thought it wasn't such a great idea uh, All right. along the line. And, uh, Either to marry or to marry you? To marry fucking me. <laughs> okay. So she left. And All then right. uh, I met a lovely girl in England, and she yeah. stayed with me for... Oh, about two years. All right. Uh, she used to come over for certain weeks on end and go back for a month and come over for a couple of weeks. And right. So this is in the 70s, wasn't it? That didn't sort of work out then, yeah. That was in the 70s? Yeah. And did that, did that hurt? Were you disillusioned or disappointed? No, I wasn't because... Or do you think your woman made the right decision? I, well, I probably... <laughs> I don't know. Well, actually, I didn't let the decisions be mine at all. They were lovely girls and while we sort of... I, I let it go to a point where, yeah. mutually, neither of us were interested. All right. But and I, going the full hog, going yeah. the whole w- wedding. So I let them right. Right. run me. Uh, they made the decision All that right. they were leaving. All so right. I wasn't hurting anybody. All right. Because I wouldn't. And were you much. hurt by it? Or did you feel disappointed? I pangs at different times, yeah. All right. But would you have decided this is not for me when it gets into the whole idea of marriage and going down the route of your brothers and sisters? Yeah, well, I didn't. I honest to God didn't think I was... Uh, marriage material. Well, it didn't, not that I wasn't mar- marriage material, <laughs> but I never felt I was mature enough. All right. Like, I've always been very kiddish. Okay, yeah, yeah. Seriously, yeah, yeah, and yeah, I still yeah. am. Okay, okay, yeah. You know, yeah, like, yeah. in my head, I'm young, much younger than I am. Okay. Like, I'm, I do strange things at different times. Uh, like reckless you know, things, I, like boys well, would do, just kind yeah, of go crazy, a little just, crazy. Just do things that people would say, geez, you think of your age, and it's okay. more sense than that, yeah, you yeah, know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And just pump off and go yeah, somewhere. Yeah, Or, or maybe go on the piss with a few of the yeah, lads yeah, up the yeah. road. Right. Or something. And right. I, I feel... I don't know. I feel I feel much more comfortable in 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 the company of younger people All right. than I do of people my own age. Let's okay. Say. Because right. I find people of my own age are are ready with one foot in the grave, if you like. Okay. And uh, they're talking about things that happened twenty years. Do you remember so and so twenty years ago? We went down childish stuff. Sure, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, I mean, yeah. is that all that they have to think about? All right, okay. You, like, and as you say, you're not a looker backward. That's I'm not, not a looker backward. So, I mean, if I'm with a younger bunch in right. a bar and all the rest of them, we're having our drinks, 
I find I can relate right. to what they're talking All about. Right. Okay. Is this you people know? at 20 or ah, no, teenagers at 30? No, not, not, not teenagers. They're only bullshit. Yeah, right. Okay. No, okay. I'm talking about uh, people from 25 up. Okay. All right. You know, okay. But that would suggest that you're immature in ways. Yeah, but that's which what I just said. Which is fine. That's what I just you said. You accept that I about have, yourself. I accept yeah, that I'm yeah. immature. Yeah. yeah and I, yeah. I always, I always felt that, right, I was, I that. that I was. That I was. That I was immature. Yeah. So you kind of made that decision. This is this is not the path Joe is going to follow. No, I don't. I don't want to. I don't want to go to this this to this stage where you say, Lord, I'm tired now and. Do you know, if it was only 20 years ago, I've never right. said that. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you know, yeah. I think what I do now is just as important as to what I did yeah. Uh, yeah. 20 years ago. And I have the same uh, the same energy to do now yeah. what I did 20 years yeah. ago. So I yeah. don't see any reason for Well, you're defying the process in pop, which I think is great. Well, I don't know. No, no but the fact of wrong. reinventing yourself musically and doing songs by you two and all, when, yeah. when most people are expecting you to go into the nostalgia circuit yeah. and only repeat your younger self. Yeah, well, as soon as the nostalgia thing starts, I'm out of here. Yeah, I know. That's not, that's not you who know, you are. No. You know? I, I don't even feel that I'm any younger than I am. Right. The point about it is I think differently. I think All younger. Right. All right. I think younger and I, I sort of basically act. I mean, I know guys my own age. Like, I meet them in pubs and all the rest of it. And I look at them and I reckon, Jesus Christ almighty, they're old people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Do you know how do they let themselves get to be old people? Alright. Do you know like they don't look after themselves, they're thinking like old people. Alright, okay. Is there ever a moment where they talk about the kids and you wish, Jesus, I'm gonna go without having children? Oh. No? no? I'm not saying you may not have children, Joe. No. But you know, do you ever listen to them talking about their son going to college and having a great day out playing golf or fishing with their sons? I do, and I hear them talking about the young lad was arrested last night and was smoking <laughs> cannabis. Okay, the other side and, of it. And I can't get him to do this. And All I, right. I, this fellow's at home with the bed and he won't get up. Oh, okay. And he's 19 and I can't get him to work. And so that's the less romantic side of being a parent. That's the less romantic side of being a parent. So I said to myself, <laughs> but do you really feel that, Joe? Yeah, oh, looky me. Because, you know, a lot of people get to a certain age and they regret maybe those things. No, that, I'll tell you, I've right. got a very happy disposition with myself. Right. And uh, I, funnily enough, am tremendously fond of my own company. All right, okay. You know, really right. I am. Okay. I'm probably selfish <laughs> in, in lots of ways by saying that and, and being, being comfortable with myself. All right. Okay. You know, so, would you say you've lived an exciting life, or I've had, some a, might look I've, at I've had a fantastic life. I've lived a great life. Uh, I did everything I did. I wanted to do. All right. So, well, I suppose lots of things I didn't do that I wanted to do. But I mean, everything I've like done. What the what, what, Everything what, I've done, I wanted to do. All right. What things would you have liked to have done that you didn't? Do? Well, I suppose I would like to like. I just I don't want to just go back at things. But I mean, I like. I'd like to have done more songs. Right. With that. Yeah. Right. And okay. that sort of stuff. You all right, know. all right. You just but, made more at a career level. Yeah. But at a personal level, is there anything? No, on a personal level, there is not anything that I that I haven't done that I that I would want to done. So have you got? Are you really happy and secure yeah. where you're living right now? I'm very, I'm very contented person. Uh, loads and loads of, of good friends, not in show business. Do you keep friends? Oh yeah. Do you keep friends a long time? Yeah. Or do your friends come no, in and out of your life? I keep friends a long time. All right, okay. Yeah, I do. You, know, you must be, you're one of the first kind of uh, absolutely satisfied, happy, balanced, lacking regrets, non-ruined 
uh, singers. Well, you know, though, you talk, I've talked to so many. Yeah. You must read the articles. No, but see, so many have. I've, I've never. See, it's very difficult to, to sort of tell people that I don't feel I'm in show business. All right. Okay. You know, I'm not a show business person. All right. Now, you can see that the way I dress. All right. You know, I'm dressed for golf. Okay, yeah, yeah. You know, so I'm not. Uh, I'm not a sort of a, a peak cap, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. big boots, uh, combat pants, or yeah, yeah. that sort of uh, clothes wearer to say sure. I'm in show business. Look at me, job. That's that's not me at all. The only the only time I'm in show business is when I'm on stage. And the rest of the time it's just the rest a normal of the time, everyday I'm not life. Show business. I just live. I'm just an ordinary, an ordinary human Joe. Being. Hopefully, I'm an ordinary yeah. Joe. <laughs> Well, I said in that joke. We could get away with that one because we're both Joe. <laughs> the late and the wahid cliches, great Joe Dolan, who died Christmas in 2007. So by way of marking the 10th anniversary of his death, let me end this show with him singing the hell out of, or if you like, singing heaven into, a song many dismiss as hackneyed, Danny Boy. That song may indeed have been, as they say, done to death, but Joe's 1969 recording in my opinion, matches the best pop versions by Jackie Wilson, Tom Jones and Elvis. In fact, when I first heard Elvis Presley's version in 1976, it made me swear secretly that if he died before I got to see him in concert or in my dreams meet the man, I would one day kneel by his grave and say an Alve. I've no doubt that Joe's recording will make many of his fans feel like they, by his grave or otherwise, want to do the same. So I dedicate this recording and this show to the memory of Joe Dolan and to his fans. Thank you for listening. Oh, Danny boy The pipes, the pipes are calling From glen to glen And down Side. The summer's gone, and all the roses falling. It's you, it's you must go.
Until you come to me. 